I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golick. Mike Golick Jr., Mike Golick Sr., Jesse Cofield, holding it down for us in the Boston DraftKings studios. We are brought to you by Wrangler, made for the ride of life. Save 15% in your first Wrangler.com order with promo code GOJO15. Got a great show for you guys. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us that five-star rating. Check us out here live Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the DraftKings YouTube channel, DraftKingsNetwork.com, Samsung TV+, and a whole bunch of other fun places that you can find us now here. Uh, Jared Carabas. Co-host of Baseball is Dead podcast going to join and help us get ready for the MLB postseason. Getting started here today, Dad. We got wild card baseball kicking off here early in this week, and maybe for some people that'll drown out the dreck that was oh. Monday Night Football last night. That really just ended up being a walk down memory lane for you. You got to look back fondly on one of the best moments of your entire career last night because Daniel Jones and the New York Giants decided that they were going to give up every sack for the rest of the season in one game. I mean, just brutal. Now, Jones got sacked 10 times. Paris Campbell uh, got sacked one time, kind of as a sack. So 11 sacks for Seattle in this game. And the reason I got to relive 1991, uh, our first uh, time we played the Cowboys that year when I was in Philadelphia against Troy Aikman and the Cowboys, we had 11 sacks in that game. So what helped me relive it was the fact that Joe Buck would bring it up to, to Troy Aikman in the booth last night. Like, does this bring back any memories for you as Daniel Jones getting sacked play after play? And Troy was talking about our buddy Ryan defense that year in 91 uh, and, and what we did and, and certainly what we did in that game. So he was going down memory lane, which let me go down memory lane. How bad was it just in that instance? I'll get this out of the way for, for the Cowboys. I played nine years in the NFL. I had 11 and a half career sacks. Some say that's bad. I say it's consistent, about a little over one a year. I look for consistency. In that game, I had two and a half sacks. So in my nine-year career, in one game, I basically had one-fifth of all the sacks I had in my entire career. That's how bad Dallas's offensive line played in that game. And 
That's what we're going to say about the Giants. Listen, there's a lot to get into with the Giants. But, man, when you're quarterback, 11 sacks, 14 hits, uh, you can't do anything. You, you, you can't get a running game going. You did have they did have a point in that game where it was 14 to three and they were looking like they were actually having a drive. They could have made this game 14, 10, or at least as Troy said, 14 to six, get within one score. They go from Seattle's 43 down to their five yard or their 43 to, to uh, the Giants five yard line. And then Daniel Jones throws a pick to the rookie, Devin Witherspoon. He goes 97 yards for a touchdown. And that is ball game. The, the, what's going on with the Giants? Really, both these teams, you expected to, or you wanted to know what was next. Uh, Seattle had un, kind of surprising success because of Geno Smith, and the Giants made the playoffs and actually won a playoff game. And the Giants have, have regressed so badly now I don't know what their next step is. I mean, the next two games are, we were talking before the show started, are brutal, and they just have no protection for Daniel Jones and no running game without Saquon Barkley. When you say brutal, people might think, oh, Mike, how bad can it be? <laughs> at Miami, at Buffalo. Wow. Back to back weeks. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to start praying for the Giants because no one should have to suffer through that. And you're right, Dad. This game is going to give a lot of people a chance to use it as an indictment on Daniel Jones and that contract overall. People are going to ask questions right. about Brian Dayball and company, but it's a non-starter when you just can't drop back safely even for a second. And there was a point in the second half where it went completely off the rails, Dad. And I've been there at some point when you're giving up sacks every which way the way they were against a Seattle team that, oh, by the way, is not the 85 Bears when it comes to getting after the quarterback. They're not even close, Dad. Th that team that you were on, the Philadelphia Eagles that year, you said you guys did something that only, like, what, five other teams had done in terms of what your defense accomplished that year? Yeah, we led in, in all uh, total yards rushing and passing as a defense. There were five teams at that point in the NFL that had done it. The previous was in 1975, so we had a pretty dominant dominant defense. And uh, that that's you know that that that's not what Seattle Seattle played a hell of a game, but they're they're not that dominant defense. No, no, Seattle coming into this game had five sacks in three games. Yeah. that was good for thirtieth in the National Football League. They finished with 11 in this game. The Giants had allowed just 12 sacks on the season up until now, and they finished with 11 in that game, again, because technically that Paris-Campbell play was a backward pass, and so it counts as a sack. They are now second, I believe, to the Washington Commanders, who had 24 sacks given up on the early season. And, Dan, it's not like you can cry foul all that much because, unfortunately, the excuses stop when you look at what went on on the other side of the field, right? Yeah. The Seahawks yeah. came into this game with two backup tackles playing in this right. game. They lost both starting offensive guards and had to shuffle their entire offensive yep. line around, basically. And Shane Lowry and that offense had, plan uh, had plans for what they were going to do. And the Giants did not. Early on, they did. Early on, you saw all the misdirection runs from the New York Giants. You saw uh, Shane Waldron, excuse me. Early on from the Giants, you saw all the misdirection runs. You saw play-action passes with multiple guys in protection. But as the game wore on, that gave way to just five- and six-man protection where Daniel Jones is running for his life. You had a game where Darren Waller, your big acquisition from the offseason, yep. your high-priced free agent, had three targets total and had one target through three quarters. That's not a plan that's going to give anyone a chance of winning. And when you've got an offensive line that's struggling the way that is, 
there's just got to be more done besides dropping your quarterback straight back to try and just give him a chance to get a playoff. It's a non-starter the way that they were playing, and everyone's got to wear that. And you saw Brian Dayball, their head coach, wearing it on his face in the sideline, oh. throwing the tablet in disgust. Everyone was going through it there, but maybe no one more than him because, Dad, it doesn't look like there's a lot of light at the end of the tunnel based on the way this team performed. No, we, we 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 look at a quarter pole of the season now, and those that aren't happy with their teams are like, uh, this needs to change or that needs to change. Man, ain't a whole lot changing right now as far as personnel. You're, where, where are you going to get anybody? It's it's the same people. Now, play can get better. We've always talked about the quarter pole of the season, working through the preseason games and getting going that your team should be a little bit better. Uh, but as far as personnel, not a lot going on. And the thing about this offense that hasn't changed is Daniel Jones doesn't throw the ball down the field by design or by him checking down or by him not having enough time. You pick it. In the two games at home this year, and I did the first one, when Dallas beat them 40 to nothing at the Meadowlands, and this was their second home game, they've given up 18 sacks and have six turnovers. I mean, so Jones doesn't have a lot of time, but even if you look at his history, the ball doesn't go down the field a lot. This year he's 30th amongst quarterbacks. In average pass play, it's under six yards. So it, it's a lot of, and even even Troy and Joe mentioned it last night that a lot of passes going sideways, not a lot of passes going vertical. They tried to bring in help with a Paris Campbell, with a, a Darren Waller, but the ball is still not going downfield. Again. Not a ton of time to throw when you're getting sacked and or hit that much. You're getting. I was rushed, just going to say it's really hard to push the ball downfield when you can't stand for longer than two it, and a half seconds. It is, it is. But and that was a game last night. But I'm looking at the season as a whole, and even last year, the ball doesn't go downfield uh, an awful lot uh, by by design, like I said, or by choice. However, you want to look at it uh, in this offense, and you know they're they're trying to get more. Um, uh, viable receivers, and they thought they did, and it just hasn't come to fruition now because, as we talked about, the injury, so the running game's not working, so the passing game uh, is also not working. This is an amazing stat. The two New York teams, the Giants and the Jets, are the only teams in the NFL who have not run an offensive play with the lead. Think about that. They both have a win, but... The one was an overtime on a punt return, and the other was a uh, field goal with 19 seconds to go. So they have neither team has run an offensive play with the lead this year. That is just stunning. Well, this this I mean, I feel like we're doing dueling piano stats right now because this one's the perfect complement to that. You know why it's hard to have a lead, Dad? If you don't score touchdowns in the first half, because the Giants are the yeah. only team in the NFL without a first half touchdown this weekend. They've been outscored seventy-seven to nine in the first half of games this season. And it's hard to get off to a hot start when your foundation's cracked, like we've talked about it is. Fourth different starting offensive line combination for them yep. last night. Your best weapon on offense is Saquon Barkley, who wouldn't help your problem of going deep, Dad. I think a lot of this ends up being an overvaluing or an overestimating of personnel on your team because Jalen Hyatt's a really good player, but as a right. rookie receiver, I don't think he was going to be positioned to come in and completely revamp your team's offense. You mentioned Paris Campbell. He's a fine receiver. He's a prospect I like coming out of college, but hadn't done a whole lot during his time in Indianapolis in the lead-up to this. Darren Waller's a good player, but one hampered by injury and one that you didn't even bother to target last night. And then Daniel Jones, who right now has a contract that 
we knew was a, a bet by both sides on right. better days ahead. But it's one they can't get out of really meaningfully until after next year. And so you're locked in with a player that you saw some of that looming specter of what was there before, Dad. The Daniel Jones turnover problems that had loomed early in his career, especially when it come to taking care of the football. And I get when you're under duress that much, it's going to be difficult. Law of averages says eventually you're going to put one on the mat. But I say that more to say it invites the bad feelings that make you worried about the investment when I still think Daniel Jones is... What he's always been, he's been a solid quarterback. He's been an above-average quarterback in this league who played his best football a year where he was up for a payday, and that tends to work pretty well. But overall, if you're going to go out there and rely on him to overcome the deficiencies in other areas of your team, especially up front, I just don't think – we talked about this yesterday with what's gone on with um, the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, where you're one of the offenses in Joe Burrow and Kansas City and the Buffalo Bills that are designed to have a quarterback that helps sometimes smooth over some of the issues elsewhere. Offensive line, lack of top-end receiver production, all those things. The Giants can't structure offense that way because Daniel Jones is not that kind of quarterback. He's a very good one. He's one we saw early last night can help you with his legs a bunch there, but it's got to be recognizing limitations. And I think the Seattle Seahawks did that better offensively on the other side than the Giants did with all of the help that they gave Geno Smith because the fact that you had multiple offensive linemen out. So right. you used a bunch of tight ends and kept them in to help those guys out. You used more misdirection. You used more of the run game stuff. You booted him out. You did all those things to help a quarterback that, one, was a little banged up coming into the second half, and two, didn't have the full complement in front of him. So it goes back to the original point that everyone has to wear this, but for the Giants, it does seem a little bit more systemic because I just don't think they loaded up nearly enough this offseason. No, they absolutely didn't. And that's one thing, you know, with Seattle, they have plenty of people to throw to between Metcalf and Lockett. You had, you know, a fan you got in the trade with Russell Wilson. You pick up uh, Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. So you have got weapons there. Kenneth Walker is still running extremely hard. Their biggest issue has been the offensive line and the defense. So if the defense can come back some, and uh, they did last night, and that's all you can go is by one game. But, you know, let's see overall for the year what they can do in what seems to be a three-team division with them and the 49ers and the the surprising Rams at this point. But the Giants still don't have enough offensively, right? And then then you throw in the fact that you lost your rookie center and John Michael Schmidt last night, as well as Andrew Thomas not playing yet again on that game. They just don't have any heavy hitters on the offensive side. Maybe Hyatt can turn into that. He's certainly your biggest threat down the field. But as we just mentioned, if Daniel Jones doesn't have time for a – a route to develop downfield, what the hell good is it? Remember last year, Saquon Barkley had over 1,300 yards rushing and tied for the lead in receptions. But he averaged Mm -hmm. under six yards per catch. So the ball is not going downfield. The ball is still not going downfield. So this has to be an offense that does it methodically, right? They're not going to big play hit you. They're going to methodically hold the ball. First and 10, they're going to gain 12 yards on three plays and keep the chains moving. Uh, time of possession, they'll win. and but they, but they can't get it in the end zone. They can't get close to the red zone. Something screws it up along the way, but they don't have the big play capability, and they still don't, uh, even with players that they went out and they got. So they're kind of spinning their wheels in the mud a little bit, and then you have to rely on the defense, which is can be, can be all right at times. Now, listen. It's not like not like Seattle offense just churned up a ton of yards last night. They didn't had a defensive touchdown. Uh, they gave they gave uh, the Seattle offense a a, a short field, or uh, I, sh- I should say they were no, given they a didn't. short field they- on a sack fumble. 
I was going to say their tu- their touchdowns came on a defensive touchdown, right. a short field on a sack fumble, and then right before the half in the two minute drill, Drew Locke hits their tight end, who just is able to run yes. Noah Fant down the sideline untouched for like ninety yards inside the five. So it was not this bastion of consistent offense from Seattle. I, I think that's probably what's most damning is. There really isn't much to hang your hat on for the Giants right now. Defensively, they're pretty bad. They're one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL. They're at best a middle-of-the-pack run defense in the NFL. And right now, Dad, it seems like the Giants' season is over, especially looking inside the division that they play in. You've got a Washington team that's outperformed some's expectations through the early course. You know what Dallas uh, Dallas and the Eagles are. And I guess that's the thing for the Giants, Dad. After that Dallas game week one that you called, we were kind of willing to look the other way. Bad game script, a team in Dallas that looks like one of the best in the NFL, but to do this against this Seahawks team seems inexcusable and feels like the end already pretty early on in this giant season and gives me a chance to revisit this. So Tiki Barber is many things. was a great NFL player, um, obviously beloved at the Giants, but he authored a take that has aged like rotten milk about Daniel Jones versus one Rain Dakota Prescott with the Dallas Cowboys that I feel like replaying here just in a second. I'll take Daniel Jones over Dak Prescott 100 out of 100 times. And I think most people would agree with you. You think most people would agree with it? Most people would agree based with Based on la- like last year, ba- based I'd on agree with you. But on, over their careers, no. Based, I would, based like, on would the projection of where both of these players are going. It's incredible. This is it's not quite the same ferocity, but it's very similar energy to the Max Kellerman. If the aliens have the death beam pointed at the world and I've got yeah. one shot to save humanity, I want Iguodala, one of my favorite takes of all time. It's not the same, but man, it's the same vibes here, Dad, where I, I don't know if anyone really would have believed it then and surely no one believes it now. No, no, I don't think they do uh, at all. Now, Daniel Jones, listen, with his legs, he is extremely good. He's an extremely good player running. There's no doubt about that. But, yeah, I don't I don't think anybody is going to de- make that declarative statement that, yes, no matter what, Daniel Jones is better than Dak. You could you want to sit there and make an argument for each. You could you could probably do that. But there's no way you could sit there and say 100 out of 100 times. That's what that's what gets you in trouble sometimes with these declarative statements of, yes, absolutely, positively, uh, maybe. <laughs> it's it's it, how it is. You know what? It's, it is great, compelling theater, no doubt. Uh, Dad, let's give some time to the victors here. The Seattle Seahawks yeah. playing what we talked about yesterday is one of the most compelling divisions in football. And tough night last night. You felt for Jamal Adams making his first start oh. in a, over a year and knocked out in nine plays, goes to tackle low and gets kneed in the back of the head or the side of the head by Daniel Jones, left with a pretty scary concussion. You saw him trying to argue his way back onto the mm. field on the sideline. The Seahawks also lost two offensive linemen starters in this game of a group that was already a mash unit and had Geno Smith get rolled up on before the half. That's why Drew Locke finished the half. He came back out. I didn't think the hit on Geno was dirty, Dad. He was pretty ticked off about that during the game, after the game, and the sideline interview after. But I can understand the player being hot. I just didn't think the tackle by Isaiah Simmons was intentionally dirty there. I'm always a little bit deferential and understanding to defensive players who are trying to make high-wire acts going towards the sideline. Nope, didn't think that one was dirty at all. Not a bit. I felt for Jamal Adams, I mean, 300 and I think 80-some days before uh, last he played and came in low, put his head down and took a knee to the side of the head. And for those that don't know, there is an independent neurologist or doctor on the sideline that was in the blue tent as well. 
And the independent for a reason is to take the helmet away from the player if need be. And that's exactly what this doctor did. And listen, as soon as he got up and looked like, you know, he took that staggering blow in a boxing match and got up staggering, there's no way you can put him back in the game. And he went out and got checked by this independent doctor. And the doctor said no. And Jamal was hot. Jamal was trying to get to that doctor a little bit on the sideline. Imagine how scary it is being that independent doctor and seeing Jamal Uh, Adams. How about it? Jamal Adams is a scary dude. And he's a guy who, and he had the horrific leg injury last year, said he thought about retirement. So he finally gets back and he gets knocked out with a concussion. So tough call there for them. They already have a division loss in the Rams, which was opening weekend uh, of this game. They had the Bengals, who are really out of it right now, and then the Cardinals before the Browns. So uh, definitely a team to keep an eye on in a three-team division clearly run by San Francisco. Yeah, it it is a definite hierarchy there. But after that, with the Rams and Seahawks, we saw after the first game they played, this is going to be a battle in a place where you could potentially get three teams. Coming up next, I want to talk about the most important player from last night's game that we didn't even get to yet, and some questionable decisions made around the league. Next on Gojo and Golik. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, What else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, welcome back to Gojo and Golik. So for the second week in a row, Brandon Staley made a very questionable coaching decision. So late in the game against the Raiders, up by seven, We saw Staley go for it on fourth and one with a quarterback sneak. Justin Herbert did not get it, resulting in the Raiders getting a short field with a chance to tie the game with the touchdown. They didn't, but a lot of people were scratching their heads after this one. And after the win, he took a moment to explain where his head was at. Yeah, it was just less than a yard um, in that range where we just – Felt like we had the right play. Felt like, you know, we would really force them to, you know, they had a timeout in the two minute, but it would really put us in good position to finish the game um, and put them in a really tough situation. We felt like our defense was playing at a high level and, um, you know, we didn't get the job done. Um, but I'm really proud of our defense, the way it played the whole game. But certainly in that circumstance, two weeks in a row, um, you know, we were outstanding and, uh, you know, those guys deserve a lot of credit. Okay, and then Kevin Clark came out with this hysterical tweet afterwards. Brandon Staley and Josh McDaniels are having a fired off. Um, Ah. Very, very (laughs) strange decision here. Guys, like I said, it's the second week in a row something like this has happened. What's your take on this whole situation? So this is interesting in that 
I think I've lived long enough to actually find myself agreeing with Brandon Staley's line of thinking in these last couple of games. Like, looking around at all of these, I look at the three. Josh McDaniels, so far as a head coach, has given me no reason or nothing right. really to hang his hat on other than that fluky Tebow playoff win to say I should trust his overall decision-making as a head coach. Ron Rivera going out and not going for two at the end of that game with the opportunity to win just means to me that we should never mention him near rivers or boats ever again. That is the most stolen valor nickname in the history of nicknames, and we were wrong for doing it then and we're wrong for holding on to it if anyone still does now. The Brandon Staley thing, though, gets interesting to me because – Dad, the fourth down decision-making conversation is always going to be really polarizing and really charged. But I look at this and go, all right, at least Brandon Staley is doing something consistently again. Because as the man who taught me how to play blackjack, you know that if you're going to do something, you at least do it all the time. And Brandon Staley was that way for his first season with the Chargers. Last season started to waffle a bit. I think let the people get to him, let the conversation get to him, and turtled back into a defensive head coach. But now you got a guy who's actually putting the, puddle, putting the foot down on the gas and doing it consistently and again in a way that I have a lot easier time defending. Well, and also a, a team understands it, right? The, the team is not surprised when you're making a move like that and going to go for it because they've seen a coach do that before. Let's throw Matt Eberflus in there, in there as well, right? They have a tie ball game with Denver. Under two minutes ago, they got a chip shot field goal, and he goes for it on fourth down and doesn't make it. Why not take the lead, you know, and, and force Denver to have to at least get a field goal just to tie the game? So I'm wondering, Mike, where are because the, the analogy of of blackjack I like because if a guy doesn't like I'd sit next to guys that don't hit on 16s at the dealer showing a seven or higher and 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 they would be like you know I I they go I see you hit on 16 I just never do I said that's fine just don't ever do it you know don't don't get that gut feeling at one time that that you're going to switch up so I'm wondering with these coaches and these decisions we're so big on analytics now are the analytics guiding them at times? And then are they going by their gut sometimes? And listen, that's what coaches have done before. There's always been analytics in football and in sports, always. There's just more of it now. And younger coaches are leaning on it even more to make their decisions for them. So are these actually analytical decisions? Because when we see them, we scratch our head on why Brandon Staley did that or why Matt Eberflus decided to kick a field goal. And you wonder, is that the analytics side or is that just at that moment that they're in that they feel that's the right move to make? So in Brandon Staley's case, yes, those were advisable analytics goes. Most models I've seen, ESPN's models, Seth Walder and those guys put that information out publicly. There's ones you can follow on Twitter where, yes, those in those fourth and one situations at that point, because you got to remember, for Brandon Staley going back to the last game, they were up four at that right. point. So it wasn't an up three situation where a field goal would have equalized it. And then in this past game, they were up seven. And so in those spots, in that game situation, in that yardage and with that amount of yards to go, those were situations where, yes, the analytical model would say that's a go and you go there. And so, Dad, again, just like blackjack, the thought process is for hitting on right. 16. 
the longer you do it over a long body of time, you will win more than you lose. That's right. the same thought process here. And for people saying, well, Brandon Staley hasn't gotten burned yet because his defense bailed him out. That's generally the point of going forward on fourth down is you trust your defense to make a play. I right. believe that your defense can make a play. We can say that's misguided based on the Chargers defense so far this year. And we can say, hey, if you really want to get into the decision of this one, trying to run a quarterback sneak with Justin Herbert and his freshly taped up mega hand over there that had like a brace on the middle finger and all this weird tchotchkes, then you can maybe talk to that. But I would look at this and say, Dad, I don't know if the haters are going to get the reprieve they necessarily think they are because eventually, law of averages, one of these fourth and ones where the quarterback sneak is the most efficient play in football is eventually going to convert and they're going to win the game because he decided he'd rather win it and run play than lose it down the stretch potentially of a game. So this, I at least can say, is consistent and sticks to one ideology as opposed to just floating back and forth between what you're feeling in any given moment and having to live with the whims and the consequences on that. I completely agree. And as I said, your team understands that. The team probably doesn't even flinch. You know, they just say, okay, this we're going to be going for here. And even said when it was a game with the four-point lead, he said, hey, if it was a three-point lead, I would have done made a different decision. But it's a four-point lead, so the other team needs a touchdown. So I'm with you. I don't have a problem with, with teams wanting to base their decisions on that. Just do it consistently, which he did. Isn't it amazing, though, that the, the, the everybody's like, man, you have to start outlawing that quarterback sneak because of the – the, whatever you want to call it in Philly, it's Man. got so many different, so many different names to it. The brotherly but nobody show. else seems to, nobody else seems to be able to do it, right? Other teams are lining up to do it. No, it's not like Justin Herbert is a small quarterback, right? He's got some size to him, but it's Philly that has an incredible, you know, success rate with it. And other teams try it, and they just can't do it as well. Yeah. The pro-brotherly shove crowd got all the ammo it needed this weekend. There were so many instances of teams attempting to do this, including the Giants in the game last night. I think early in that game got stopped short on a fourth and one where they tried to do that. And people in Philadelphia, I'm sure, just can't help but smile. I would love to see, Dad, the Eagles just go out this weekend and actually purposely not shove Jalen Hurts, just get him up under center in that scrum and let him in the offensive line go to work. Because what you still have is arguably the best offensive line in football and a quarterback who's been squatting 600 pounds since he was in high school. Like, this isn't a complicated formula. You got big, burly boys and then a big, burly lad playing quarterback for you back there that's a certified power lifter and has been for a long time. Yeah, listen, I agree. And it would it would really mess a defense up. If you see him under center and nobody behind him, you're thinking, yeah. okay, they're going to run a, a different play, and then all of a sudden he still does a sneak. That would be epic. Then you have a defense not knowing what's happening because I, I love the fact, and I shouldn't as a defensive player, that an offense can come out in a set where you know exactly, exactly what they're going to be doing. They can basically tell you what they're going to be doing, and they're still able to execute it. That is, that is the epitome of, of a job well done. When everybody in the world knows what's coming, you can still get it done. And, and it uh, is now amazing that other teams can't do it. That play is not going anywhere. The league is not going to outlaw that play at all because it is, become, it is becoming folklore the way Philly does it and how successful they are running it. So that is going to stay in the league. Plus, because, again, it's, an, it's for the offensive side of the ball, which we know the league likes better than the defensive side of the ball. Also very true, but listen, it just sounds like the Eagles have a lot of haters, and that usually means you are doing something good. So congratulations to the Eagles. 
on shutting their haters up through a weekend of just getting to sit back and watch everybody else fail at that thing you do so well. Coming up next, let's get to another failure here on uh, a different team in the Chicago Bears. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. I'm Jesse Cofield. Things are going from bad to worse in Chicago as on Monday, Matt Eberflus announced that Chase Claypool will uh, remain away from the team this week as they prepare to face Washington on Thursday night. Right now, we're just having him stay, uh, you know, not be in the building this week. And then again, Ryan does all the trades and transactions, and we'll decide that as we go forward. Why keep him away from the team right now? What is the rationale behind that? Yeah, we just feel that's the best for the team. We well, just feel, why? Yeah, it's just like we said, you know, for in the building, we feel that's the best for the team. And really, it comes down to this, you know, when you're evaluating players, right? You know, in meetings, you know, in practice, right? And, you know, in, you know, in walkthroughs all those things, it's important that you evaluate the entire body of work, right? And we just feel that right now, Chase is going to be out of the building's best for our football team. Guys, this comes after last week uh, when Claypool was like questioning if he was being put in the best position to succeed. He mentioned that to the media and it's just getting really messy, you know, in Chicago. Yeah, the vibes are all sorts of off here, dad. (laughs) And Everyone's said a little bit too much in all of these situations, and it seems like this move from Matt Eberflus is just to almost try and shut off the faucet because you had Justin Fields before this who came out and made comments and that had to come out and re-explain his comments, and then you had Chase Claypool being a little bit too honest, and then you had the miscommunication before the game on was he asked to stay home from the game when he was dubbed inactive? Was he given the choice to come to the game or not be inactive? And... You know this, Dad. Coaches are control freaks. That lack of control over what's going on in their building drives them mad. And so this just seems like Matt Eberflus trying to take back some semblance of control in a season where he was also robbed of of gear from his practice facility. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's been uh, yeah losing your defensive coordinator. I mean, it's what a year it's been, and that's off the field. Let alone what's going on on the field. Listen, when you don't have the right communication, what's what's going to happen is that reporters are going to want to find out what the truth is. They're going to, so they're going to ask, they're going to keep asking questions on what the truth is until you guys get your story straight, whether it's the story, you know, the true story or not. 
What you want is the story that you want out there. You all want to be on the same page. And listen, it's very simple. Matt Eberflus does not want Claypool in the building because um, he is afraid is the wrong word, but not sure what Clay is going to say when the media comes in, right? Clay, Clay kind of answered a question saying he wasn't being used correctly. He doesn't want that. doesn't want that distraction because he knows if Clay is in the locker room, the reporters are going to run right to Clay. And if you say well, Clay is not talking to the media, then everybody else is going to get the questions about uh, uh, Claypool. So, I mean, it's, it's become a horrible situation there when you tell a guy, stay away. It's happened a few times. We've had T.O. told to stay away from his team. We've had Keyshawn Johnson, I believe, told to stay away from his team. We now have uh, Chase Claypool told basically to stay away from the team. He has four receptions this year on 14 targets. They gave up the 32nd pick to the Steelers to get him. And right now it is nothing but a, a completely negative move for them. So what will be the future? Will they try and deal him? Will they release him? Will they try and work him out and get another weapon? possibly on the field uh, for Justin Fields, but it is, it's a mess right now, and it's starting with communication. What's that common thread between all the names that you just mentioned? Man, wide receiver is a wild position <laughs> yeah. uh, with some wild egos that get involved in this thing, but you said the most damning part there at the end, and we've talked a lot about what feels like the friction between this regime and the old regime, right? You've got Matt Eberflus in here as a coach. You've got Ryan Poles instituted as the GM. And going all the way back to this last year's draft where they had the number one pick and before they decided to trade it to Carolina, there was this conversation that was allowed to happen publicly without the Bears really putting out the fire early on about would you deal Justin Fields or not. And there were a lot of vagities thrown out there and there were a lot of things about how, well, you're going to vet every option basically indicating, yeah, we're not all the way sold because he's not our guy. We were handed Justin right. Fields, and we were still quite 100% sure what we were handed. And then in the middle of last year, as you came over, you also decided, hey, well, we're going to go ahead and send the 30-second pick out to try and get something going for Justin Fields, to try and make something happen here with this young player. And in that time, in the 10 games he's been there, it's 18 passes for 191 yards and one touchdown there. Now to subvert your future. So there's a lot of points where it seems like the past of the Chicago Bears team is completely at odds with their future. And this current regime so far has not displayed an ability to get their arms around that and corral any of the problems here, Dad. And this is difficult because it seems to beget, like, what confidence do you have if you're a Bears fan in the way this current administration has handled anything and an indicator of how they'll handle everything going forward? Listen, and, and I was I was one in the camp of keep fields and see what he can do this year. You try and build around him. They get DJ Moore, uh, who is their leading receiver. Cole Komet's just one uh, reception behind that, so they're using Komet more as well. Um, but what's going to happen is, and you said it, because – you go to Kyle Shanahan and um, and John Lynch, the GM in San Francisco. I've always said when you have to own a mistake, it's difficult. Egos are very difficult to say, yeah, we traded up for the number three pick and took a guy that they have eventually traded away to the Dallas Cowboys at the quarterback position. So that that's a lot to eat for an ego to say, we got that wrong. It's not like that in Chicago. Eberflus and Poles, they can, just what you said, that none, none, these guys outside of the draft that we had are not our guys. These aren't our guys. And Justin Fields is not our guy. So if we don't see it going in the right direction, if we don't see the fit with Luke Getze, the OC, and this quarterback, 
and we are bad enough this year to be in position or with, with assets to get there, a guy we think can help this team longer, you're not getting hurt bad money-wise because he's on his rookie contract. So there's a lot less feeling of ownership to someone who wasn't your pick anyway. It is difficult, but at the same time, man, like Ryan Poles got here in 2022. He made that Chase Claypool decision, and I'll raise my hand. I got that eval wrong at the time where it seemed like a lower stakes give for a guy that was going to come over and try and give your quarterback something when he was drowning out there, and it didn't work out. You just had to watch Khalil Mack go ham all in your grill as that was the first thing you did as Ryan Poles coming over was get rid of Khalil Mack, so... All of these things, Dad, are not instilling a ton of confidence, I think, in people going forward. Because to your point about John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and 49ers, at least they've got a hundred other hits to point to there. They've got a roster that's made out of Teflon that they can point to around the quarterback (laughs) position and say, well, we've been making deep playoff runs. We were in the NFC Championship last year with three different quarterbacks that we used during the season. So far, the Bears have on-field issues, off-field issues, and a mounting pile of doubt to point to if you're the front office and the coaching staff here early in that tenure. Yeah, nothing redeemable right now on the field. And as, as we talked about with the Giants or any team that's doing poorly now, there's no cavalry coming in. There, there's All you can do is hope your play improves from, as we've talked about, early season to, to more in the season, middle of the season to later in the season. Other than that, this is who you got. Um, and, and, and much like Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett, and we hope Kenny Pickett is okay with his knee where it is. He may not miss any time. We'll see. Uh, Luke, And now I'm saying like Luke Getze and Justin Fields, it just doesn't seem like there's that connection with O coordinator and quarterback right now. And that's one of the, that's one of the best communication, communication connections you need on the field to have those guys kind of in each other's minds on what you want to do on certain plays or in certain situations. And it's just not there. Uh, we, we keep waiting for Justin Fields to take that next step because we see what a dynamic athlete he is. And he's got to put the put the passing with it. And sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. But there's just not a whole lot on this offense to, to point to and say, yeah, this is a monster plus for us. So, you know, what happens is the quarterback, much like a coach or a coordinator, gets the brunt. Of, of the negativity. And I'm not saying it's not deserved some in this situation, but they have a lot more problems on that team than just Justin Fields, that's for sure. Yeah, as we get to superlatives later, we're going to talk about people in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes, and it seems like that's going to be the easiest thing that Chicago can sell to their organization, to their fan base, and say, well, we're going to start this off with the thing that can affect the most people and make a change. Like you said, even if it's not totally Justin Fields' fault, he plays the position you can have the most impact on by making that switch, and it's going to save a lot of these other people. I'm rooting for Ryan Poles. He's a former offensive line. we got a beef GM that you love to see, but right now it's been a tough, tough scene in Chicago. Back after this, let's go Joe Angola. Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIT. Only on the DK Horse app. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus, 21 plus in certain states to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. The Coach Prime Effect is so powerful that apparently four-star receiver Aaron Butler, a senior at Calabasas High School, announced Friday his plans to shut down for the season so he can focus on school, so he can graduate in December and enroll early at Colorado. So guys, he committed to CU in May. He's now looking to join the Buffs in the spring after playing in the first four games of his final high school season. So he's shutting down here. He's ready. He's ready to join Sanders and the squad. Yeah, this is interesting. So we're now seeing the trickle-down effect. Most often in football, we see it's trickle-up. It's things from high school, especially scheme-wise, that make their way to college, make their way to the NFL. But, Dad, the trend of players sitting out bowl games in college as they prepare for the NFL draft has now started to leak down to high school where you've got a player here in the middle of his final year of high school in the middle of the season right now. Calabasas football, as far as I've found here, is 2-4 and four at this point yeah. and 0-1 in the league and has decided to shut it down under the guise of daddy. He and his family came out and said, basically, he wants to graduate early and is taking four classes in person and four online classes because he didn't know he was going to be graduating right. early enough in his career to offset that. Usually players and kids that want to graduate high school early will start that class load earlier on in their career, spread it out over time. So it's not as intensive during a season, especially upcoming. But basically, they prioritized that and his future over the current season right now with his high school team. Daz, is this something you have an issue with? Well, yeah, listen, I mean, it's wow, is it different? I mean, we've been talking about it started in college players all of a sudden not going to bowl games, you know, outside of the playoffs to prepare for the draft so they wouldn't get hurt that we we all, you know, a lot of people uh, took the, oh, my God, is this really happening effect to where we are now uh, with NIL and the portal and people transferring like crazy. And my thought is, man, uh, it's your choice for your uh, career and your family that you make it. So I'm not going to sit here and say this is the wrong thing to do. Um, it's just a different time now. It was unheard of, certainly when I played, even everything going on now started seeing a little bit more of it at the end of your career uh, in college, but nothing like this. This is, this is your wonder. Now you mentioned where they are two and four. Now he stopped after four games. They were one and three after the fourth game. So you wonder if they were four and oh, or three and one, would this be the same decision? Because that's, that's the one thing everybody was waiting for in colleges, a team that's in the playoffs and on the four teams in playoffs, I don't think you'll get it. When you have 12 teams in the playoffs, I wonder if you still may get that. And we'll see if a player will not play in a playoff game, especially if they're ranked seed 11th or 12th, and say, I'm going to get ready for the next level. We'll wait and see on that. All I can say, Mike, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, man, this is horrible. You can't do this. This is where we are right now with decisions uh, that these players have to make. He wants to get to Colorado early. I, I guess I would say, 
The one thing I would say, Mikey, and I'm sure you could you could uh, agree with this, man. High school football. I mean, this is going to where we are as a business now. NFL has always been a business. College has been a business. Now it's more a business than it's ever been. High school seemed to be that last bastion, man. There was nothing like high school football, right? I mean, playing in that game, go hang out with your friends and your teammates after the game. No responsibilities, really no cares uh, because it was high school. And now this is invading high school where they're saying, I'm not going to finish out with my guys in high school. Uh, and, and I guess the one thing I would say, man, that, that, that's a year you got to enjoy. You just have to enjoy because it really gets to business after that. But as I just said, maybe it's getting to business now. So I'm yeah. not going to sit here and damn this uh, decision by this kid and his family. It's what they feel is right. Uh, I, I would imagine we're going to see more of it. That That's probably the biggest shame for me. I know how much I enjoyed my high school years. I know how much you guys enjoyed your high school years. It's just so much fun with so less responsibility to the, the business side of it. And you just see that kind of going away with this move. Yeah, people are going to make this about the kids. This ain't the kids' fault. This is what has happened to the sports. If you're going to put fault to any of it, but it is the fact that this has become a business. I mean, Dad, in the decade and a half since I was getting recruiting, the camp circuits that you've got to be on, the 11-on-11 circuits and the way that's proliferated the sport, the way that 11-on-11 coach or 7-on-7 coaches, excuse me, have become these pseudo brokers for a lot of players in these spots. And the fact that you can earn money now, there's a lot of States where you can make NIL money in high school. There's a lot of kids that understand now I've got a real opportunity to make money on the other side of whatever my high school career is. And they've got to think about that because a lot of guys have their families to think about. They come from circumstances where they need to help and be a breadwinner in this spot. And that's what I've always pointed to for college guys making the leap to the pros dad is there's guaranteed real dollars on the other side yep. of the yep. NFL draft in the spring. And so I can't realistically look a player in the eye. And I always said, if it was one of my teammates, if this had been 2012 and we were not playing in the national championship and you've got Zach Martin sitting there, who's a potential first round draft pick, who's got all this money on the other side of this. And he came in and said, guys, I, I don't know if I'm going to play in this game. You know, I don't know if it's advisable. There's a lot at stake here. I'd be the first one to tell him, dude, we'll go it without you. Like go and protect what's yours because you care about your friends. You want to see the good things for them there. Even if it's going to hurt you and the rest of the team in the process, you've all put too much in this together to not watch someone go and complete their dreams on the other side. And now that's what's happened at the high school level is we yeah. see six figure payouts for guys going into the world of college sports here. What high schooler could look at their buddy on the other side of that and say, yeah, don't keep the main thing, the main thing. We all know what you've put in to get to this point. Yeah, it's just it's just four years different, right? You're talking about a senior year in high school as opposed to 17 and 18 year olds. Imagine in in your class, you know, uh, your your class in high school, the other D1 athlete was your buddy, Kevin Egan. Imagine at that time, Egan coming in four games into the season and saying, you know what, guys? I plan on doing this. I didn't think I was going to do it. Now I have to take more classes I can in football. I'm ditching on the rest of the year. I, I think it would have taken a lot of people aback. Now, again, that's back then. But I think even now, because this is the first I've heard of, we've had guys graduate early in December so they could go to college in, that in, in the winter and then yeah. get spring ball, but they played their football season. It was after the football season. Again, as Mike stated, and let, let's not gloss it over, 
players that do that start this process their freshman and sophomore year so the load doesn't get too big that they have to miss time. This kid decided late. So he's not only taking in-school classes, he's taking online classes, and the load is just too much at this late stage, he thinks, to, to put football in. I just think there's going to be initial shock at this, Mike, and then it's going to be something we may be used to uh, if you choose to start late. Because remember, if you start this process early, you sure. can still play ball but, and fit it but all But some in, guys but, might just decide, hey, yes. my team's playing bad. I don't want to risk exactly. injury. I'm trying to get on the yep. field my freshman year because I'm trying to get out yes. of college in three years. All of these are decisions that have to be made. And again, right. it's because the business has invaded the sport right. at this level, not the other way around. It's not, oh, these greedy players or, oh, these selfish players. It's high school players looking around and seeing the same thing the college players saw. Man, there's a whole cottage industry that sprung up around getting money off our skills here. There's a lot of people that seem to be doing well. Like I said, the seven-on-seven seven industry is one of the places yes. you point to. But yes. the camp circuits that you see here, all the things that feel like a requirement in the recruiting process now have all of a sudden infiltrated in this way where players got to grow up a lot faster than they used to. And I've said this for a while now that the recruiting process looks markedly different in what you're expected to be as far as basically a young business person as a 17-year-old. Mike, I heard one recruiter talking to a high school and he said how much recruiting has changed. And Deion Sanders said this. He said the less high school kids are going to get recruited. This recruiter was telling this high school that out of that state, there were the previous year there were I think 134 Division One scholarships given out, and then the following year there were like 60 some. It was almost cut in half, and that's what Dion said. He said you're going to take less 18 year olds and look in the portal and get guys who have played college ball that can come in and help your team right away. So there'll be more a mixture. So it's not going to be 25 18 year olds. It might be 12 18 year olds and 14 you know, sophomores or juniors. So the world has changed. How do you adapt to it? Bottom line is that their family and those kids' decisions. You don't have to like it, but you have to let them make their decisions. Yep. Real money, real stakes, big time decisions. As there are in the NFL right now. Coming up next, it's quarter pole superlatives. Next on Gojo and Gold. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.